Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. We do indeed pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show us the Lord Jesus Christ as we look at the Bible today, but also that you would show us uh, the wonder of all that we have in Christ, uh, that we may be perhaps more amazed than ever before as we leave this place, uh, that we would certainly realise we need him more than we've ever realised before. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, I know there are some visitors here. You're very, very welcome. And uh, we've been looking through the book of Romans ever since uh, the beginning of uh, September. And uh, we're at Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 to 11 today. And uh, so I'd encourage you to turn, open your Bibles to page 1132. And the other thing you might like to do if you like these things is to dig out um, the, uh, the, the sermon outline uh, that I tucked inside uh, the bundle on the way. I say I tucked inside, somebody else did it, yeah. Uh, but it was tucked inside anyway. I got it organised to be tucked inside, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, if you can find that, that might be useful. There is a remarkable clarity that comes to a man or a woman as they lie on their deathbed. As someone famously remarked, no one ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Face to face with our own mortality and about to slip in the presence of God, we, we do see what really matters. That has come home to me this week again. In the past 22 years of pastoral ministry, I've had the privilege of sitting with and talking to many people as they've come to the end of their lives. Let me tell you, if I may, what they want to know in those last moments of life. Even people who've largely shown no interest in Christian things throughout their lives, they want to know about eternity. When I sit with them and ask them, have you made your peace with God or aren't you sure yet? And they say, I'm not sure. 
I say to them, can I tell you how you can be sure? And people who've never thought seriously about Jesus Christ are all ears. They want to know how they can be sure they are right with God, how they can be sure of God's acceptance. They want to know that God loves them. Those are the issues that really matter. And on our deathbeds, we know that. I got a telephone call from my brother three and a half years ago in the middle of the night to say that he was at the hospital in Stevenage and that my dad had just died. And I can tell you that very little else mattered than that my dad was a committed Christian man. It didn't matter how much money dad had in his bank account. He wasn't going to take it with him. It didn't matter how big his house was or what car he drove or the next holiday he'd planned. All those things were totally irrelevant. Interesting, isn't it? All the things we crave and strive for didn't matter in the slightest. There is a clarity in our thinking when we come face to face with death. And so we would do well from time to time to project ourselves forward to that day, to that day when we too will be about to pass into God's presence. For if we think about that from time to time, it will give us a clarity about what really matters in life now. And I tell you, it will drive us to the gospel and make us thankful for the gospel because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ not only tells us what really matters, but it gives us what really matters. Over these past weeks, as we worked our way through the book of Romans, we have seen very clearly that our greatest need is to be rescued from the wrath of God. It tells us that we are going to meet God one day and find him not greeting us with open arms, but rather that our sin has aroused his anger and that we face his judgment of being cast out of his presence for all eternity. The book of Romans tells us that that is a terrifying prospect that all of us face and all of us deserve. But the momentous news of the gospel is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserved. He received from God the due penalty of our sin so that if we put our faith in him, we are justified. That is, we are declared not guilty. And so wonderfully and amazingly and remarkably, God treats us as if we were Jesus because on the cross he treated Jesus as if he were us. And we saw last week in chapter four that that not guilty verdict comes to us through faith. Not through our effort, not through any religious activity, not through us trying to keep the law, but through faith in Christ. And so now, here in Romans 5, we discover the fruit of that not guilty verdict of what it is to be justified. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, this chapter then tells us the fruit of justification. There are three things that I've got from this, uh, this little section that I think are here. First, being justified means we have peace with God. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or better, God is at peace with us. This is such a wonderful thing to hear because for the first three chapters of Romans, we were told that God was angry with us. God was at war with us. Now we're told he's at peace with us. Next week will be Remembrance Sunday. I love asking people who've lived through the war years what it was like when they heard that the war had ended. Have you ever done that? It's well worth doing. It's great to hear them speak of it. 
But you don't even have to talk to someone who's lived through that sort of time to know the answer. We know from news footage that it resulted in an outpouring of overwhelming joy. People on the streets hugging and embracing each other, people they didn't even know. Well, look, for anyone who knows the gospel, we should feel that overwhelming joy, a greater joy. This Bible passage is punctuated by the words, and we rejoice. That's how it ends, verse 11. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Through the gospel, we are now reconciled to God, no longer at war with God. We have peace with God. What a relief. Because believe me, we could not have chosen a worse person to be at war with than Almighty God. Because being at war with the Almighty Creator of the universe, we were always going to lose. But foolishly, that's what we've all done. Picked a fight with the most powerful person in existence. That isn't smart. But now, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is at peace with us. At the cross, God's wrath has been averted. His justice satisfied. And so God is not holding anything against us anymore. Nothing. That's the most important thing a man or woman can ever know. And we know that's the most important thing a man and woman can ever know because it's what men and women want to know on their deathbed. Am I at peace with God? In the gospel, since we've been justified, we have peace with God. And that means, secondly, we have access into God's grace. Do you see it there in verse 2? Through whom, that is through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And the word access is a military word. It's the word for a platform. It paints for us the picture of a soldier going over a huge wall and establishing a platform for the rest of the troops to get over as well. The word access in verse 2 is the word for a landing platform then. Jesus has gone before us. He has gone over the wall and has established a way into God's grace. He has laid down a platform for us, if you will. And verse 2, through Christ, we have gained access by faith into God's grace, notice, in which we now stand. This is a present reality that has both present and future consequences. See how this passage works. Verse 1, because God is not angry with us anymore, because we are at peace with God, we stand in God's grace. All because of Jesus. It's got nothing to do with us. It's not earned or deserved. It's grace. So listen to this, Christian. If you're a Christian here tonight, your good standing with God is certain. It's not conditional. It's not dependent on how you've lived or what you've done today or this week. It's entirely dependent on what Jesus Christ has done for you. And it doesn't change based on the day that you've had. I had a pretty rubbish day a few weeks ago. I often have rubbish days just because I'm rubbish. I had conversations that didn't go very well. And then because I was frustrated with the way I'd handled those situations, I was a bit grumpy with the children. It wasn't their fault. And then, you know how it goes, I was grumpy with them. And, well, you don't need all the details. It was a bad day. Now, today, on the other hand, it's been a good day. I haven't had a bad conversation with anyone. It's going all right. Better not talk to me afterwards. I can go all the way home and it'll go really well. (laughs) Things have gone well. But the truth of the gospel is that I'm in as good a relationship with God two weeks ago, my worst day, as I am today, my best day. 
Because my relationship with God is not dependent on my effort, how well I did that day. But it's dependent upon the fact that Jesus has gone over the wall before me to set up a platform, access into God's grace. I'm in his grace. It's unconditional. Christian, have you got hold of that yet? Do you believe it? I think it's very hard for us to get hold of this and to keep believing it because our relationship with God is the only relationship in the universe that we will ever experience that is totally unconditional. Let me say that again because I'm not sure I believed that until this week. I thought there were other relationships that were sometimes unconditional. In the gospel, my relationship with God is the only relationship in the world where you will experience totally unconditional acceptance all the time. Over the years, I've met with people and they've told me their family backgrounds where they've had to achieve to be loved. They were loved if they passed their exams. They were loved if they were successful and and got the right job. They were loved if they produced grandchildren. All the way through our school years, we're told the same thing, aren't we? If you get the right grades, we'll love you. I mean, it isn't put quite like that, but that's basically how it is. If you won't won't make it in life unless you achieve, you've got to make the grade. And it's down to your effort. You've got to perform. That's why you feel such pressure heading up to exams. If I don't perform, what's going to happen to me? It's what life's like in the big bad world. It's everywhere. I tell you, I saw it acutely in the seven years I lived and worked in London, where in London, love comes with a price tag. In London, you're loved if you're young, if you're successful, if you're beautiful, if you're athletic. I'm none of those things. Nobody loved me in London. Came to Sheffield instead. (laughs) Do you see, in the world, in the world, relationships are conditional. But the gospel is different. And when I began to understand that, I tried to live differently, and not least of all, at home with my wife and my children. So we encourage our children to do their best for their sake so they don't have any regrets later in life. But no matter how well they do, we tell them again and again and again that we love them, whatever their exam results, and no matter how good they are at sport or how good they've been that day with us, we love them. We try to show them unconditional love. But even though I'm aware of the importance of that, I've got to hold my hands up and say to you that still there's an element of my love for my children and my wife that is conditional. Because when my children have been naughty and when I'm not happy with them, there's a breach in our relationship and I tend to sulk. I know I'm the adult, I'm not supposed to do that, but I do and I withdraw. Do you see the point? Even the best relationships in this world, even those of us who've been raised in loving homes and who try to show unconditional love to our children, even then there's a conditional element. But not with God. This says no matter how I've lived, God is not sulking with me and he's never sulking. Why? Because of Jesus' death. I am at peace with God and I have access to his grace all the time. Now is the word at the end of verse 2. That's my status before God, whether I've had a bad day or a good day, because my relationship with God is always dependent on the work of my substitute, Jesus Christ, and that never changes. So when people say to me, I'm a Christian but not a very good one, And when they say that to you, you know they probably don't understand what it means to be a Christian. Because if you are a Christian, you stand in grace. 
in a perfect relationship with God because of the work of Jesus Christ, not because of your performance. Isn't that wonderful? And because I won't find that kind of relationship anywhere else in the world, I probably need to keep reminding myself of this every day. Jerry Bridges, the Christian author and speaker, is a great uh, Christian author, well worth reading his books. I heard only this week, he was asked about his prayer life, and he said this, the first thing I do every morning is preach the gospel to myself and sing the gospel to myself. He said, I need a constant reminder of the gospel. I need to be reminded every day that I'm in an unconditional relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Christian, read Romans chapter five, verses one and two often. Verse one, we have peace with God. Verse two, we have access into God's grace. And it's not dependent on our effort or our performance. It comes, verse one, through faith and verse two, by faith. It is ours, verse one, through our Lord Jesus Christ and verse two, through him. It's not something we have to work for, verse two. It is a matter of grace. And if you're a Christian, then end of verse two, you stand in it now. And because of that, end of verse two, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's why this is so important. Because, Christian, because of this truth, you have the hope Not a vague thing, but the guarantee of the glory of God when you die. And let me tell you again, when you are on your deathbed, you will know that there is nothing more important than that, nothing. And because you will know that on your deathbed, you need to know it now. There is nothing more important than that. And so we should rejoice, end of verse two, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's certain. Because it's about faith in Christ not about our performance. But before I leave this point, let me say time and time again, we are tempted to jump off the platform of grace that Jesus has secured. We are tempted to jump off that and into the raging sea of conditional acceptance and the swill of my pitiful good works. But listen, if your standing with God is based on your efforts, you will be a pain in the neck to be around. Because when you've had a bad day, you'll be miserable and a pain in the neck. And when you've had a good day, you'll feel proud and full of yourself and you'll be a pain in the neck. Either way, when your relationship with God is not based on grace but on effort, good day or bad, you're a pain in the neck. So stop living by your efforts and live in grace. Rejoice in the grace that is yours through faith in Christ. And end of verse two, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It is certain and secure Eternity is mine because Jesus died for me. Nothing to do with me. He died for me. Let me tell you, knowing that, I can lay down my head on my pillow at night and know that whatever happens, ultimately everything's okay. It is glorious. And knowing that eternity in God's presence is certain, we can rejoice, verse three. Look at this, here's the surprise. It's all going well so far, isn't it? Now look at verse three. We can rejoice even in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Look, once I realise that, that this hope, this guarantee of being with Christ when I die, this hope, once I realise this hope of being with God is the greatest thing I can have, then anything that brings me that hope, anything that makes me really believe that that is the most important thing in life, 
Anything that does that is good is for my good and I will rejoice in it. That's what this verse is saying. Allow me to be autobiographical for a moment. My mum died of cancer two and a half years ago. It was a terrible illness and her death was a terrible thing and not something I enjoy going back over. But through it, I prayed this verse for my mum. I prayed that through, she was a Christian lady, but I prayed that through her suffering, she would have a greater delight in the hope of the glory of God because, you see it there in verse five, that hope would not disappoint her. See, mum was a Christian. And as she realised that she would not beat the cancer, as she grew more ill and less able to do all the things she enjoyed in this life, she became more aware of the hope of the glory of God and she became more aware that that was the most important thing she could have. Everything else she valued in life would go. Everything. Everything else actually would leave her disappointed because it wasn't going to last. But the hope of the glory of God was certain and would never leave her or disappoint her. And let me tell you that as I walked down that road with her as she was dying, this became true for me. I was praying it for her, it became true for me. That as I sat with her and as she got weaker and weaker, I had a greater clarity about what really mattered too. And so we didn't rejoice in her cancer. But we could rejoice in suffering because it produced in us hope, the hope of the glory of God, and hope does not disappoint. The hope that one day when we, when we lie on our deathbed, we will know that nothing else matters more than the hope of the glory of God. And so do you see, that is a very good thing for me to learn now. Because if I learn it now, I have a fighting chance of living my life with that priority. If I learn this now, and I learn it through suffering, because that suffering strips me of everything that I thought was worthwhile. If I learn it now, I will put things in their right place. I will get things in perspective. I will spend my money on things that matter. I will give to gospel work. I will be sure to tell others of this gospel. I will go wherever I'm needed to further the gospel. I will pray for the advance of the gospel because there's nothing more important. It's going through suffering that I realise... All of that. And therefore, writes Paul, I can rejoice in my sufferings because my suffering produces hope. And the hope of the glory of God never disappoints, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And that leads us then to the third fruit of justification. First, we have peace with God. Second, we have access into God's grace. Third, we're over the page by quite a way by now, if you're following in the handout. Third, we have assurance of God's love, verses 5 to 11. See, this is the other thing. When you sit with somebody who's going to die, they want to know that God loves them. If you come and visit me in a hospital in maybe years to come, maybe not very long, just before I'm about to die, can I say, just in case I forget to tell you at the time, can I say thank you for coming to visit me? It's very kind of you. Because I think about, when I think about that day, I think I might forget to say thank you because I think I might be frightened and I might not be thinking very straight. And if you're at my bedside, I might just whisper to you, I'm frightened of dying. How do I know God loves me? Let me ask you, what will you say to me when I say that to you? I will be desperate that you get this right. 
Let me tell you what I don't want you to say to me while I'm thinking clearly. I do not want you to say, how do you feel? Do you feel as if God loves you? Can you feel that God is, is a loving God? I don't want you to say that because I will now change from whispering and, and do my best at shouting to you. I am fearful and frightened of dying and I don't feel as if God loves me. And the reason I'm saying this tonight is that many Christians I meet question God's love for them when life is not going well for them. They don't feel as if God loves them. Well, I may be no different. And when I'm on my deathbed, life won't be going very well for me. And I say this because these Christians, their confidence that God loves them is based on whether life has been easy and pleasurable for them and it's based on their feelings. But you see, that is hopeless because we live in an awful world and my feelings go up and down depending on whether Leeds United have won this weekend. So to help me, for you to help me when you come to visit me on my deathbed, please learn how Romans chapter 5 assures me of God's love for me. Verse 5, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And how does God pour out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit? He reminds us of Jesus' death. You see, that's how the passage continues in verses 6 to 8. Do you remember that great advertising slogan, Vinterflora? Say it with flowers. What are you saying when you send flowers? You're saying, I love you. Well, look, God said it not with flowers, but with the cross. As Jesus died, God said, I love you. And his remarkable love is shown in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Now, a righteous man is a man who always does what is right in this context. And here we read that it's very rare, but someone might die to save a person like that. So, you know, you imagine the situation. You see a righteous man, somebody who always does what is right, drowning in a river, and you might dare to go in to save him at the expense of your death. You might, you might dare to do that. But he says it's not very often. Though, verse 7, for a good man, that is someone who not only does what is right, but is likeable with it, for a good man, someone may possibly dare to die. So, yeah, you see a good man dying in a, a river and you think, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in, I'll, I'll do my best. I might dare to die. But God does something quite extraordinary, verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see how amazing God's love is for you? He died when you were his enemy. And you see how the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. He points us to the cross. It's at the cross that you know God loves you. You may not feel that God loves you. The rubbish circumstances of life may be such that you might begin to doubt that God loves you. But you know that God loves you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While we were still sinners. That's what you need to tell me when you visit me, when I'm on my deathbed and frightened and wondering if God loves me. Don't say, how do you feel? Point me to the cross and tell me that when, verse 6, I was powerless to do anything and when I lived an ungodly life and when, verse 8, I was a sinner and verse 10, when I was God's enemy, Christ died for me. And then you tell me, that's how you know God loves you, Paul. You might not feel as if he does, but look at the cross. 
And you see then whether the circumstances of my life are in my favour or not, I can look at the cross and say, God loves me. And when you've told me that, go on and teach me the rest of the passage. Tell me the wonderful truth from verses 9 and 10, that if God loved me when I was a sinner, I can be absolutely sure that now, now that I've been reconciled to God by the cross, I can be absolutely sure I'll be saved. 4 verse 10, if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? That's what I want you to tell me when you visit me on my deathbed. Teach me that I can know God loves me because Jesus died for me. And because he died for me when I was a sinner, now that I'm his friend, I can be sure that he's going to take me to be with him and I'm going to be saved. And then tell me to rejoice in that. Verse 11. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've now received reconciliation. Christian, are you joyful? Through faith in Christ, we are justified. And since we have been justified, we have peace with God. He's made his peace with us. We have access into God's grace. My relationship with God is always the same because of Jesus. And I, I, I know it will always be the same. And we know we're loved by God because he died for us when we were sinners. In the gospel, we have what everyone wants when they're on their deathbed. And that is what really matters because on our deathbed we are given a remarkable clarity. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for the, that the gospel gives us uh, what we need more than anything. We ask your forgiveness that even as Christians, many, many of us, hundreds of us here, keep drifting away from the gospel, keep thinking that our relationship is based on our works, keep thinking that other things are more important than peace with you and being justified, having grace, having access into your presence. We keep thinking other things that are pathetic matter. We ask your forgiveness. But most of all today, we want to rejoice We rejoice in this glorious gospel. We rejoice that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the grace that is ours. We rejoice in the hope of the glory uh, that is to come. We rejoice that we've been reconciled. And we rejoice in the cross of the Lord Jesus where we know you love us, where you've done all of this for us. And so help us now to lift our hearts in rejoicing both in this song we're about to sing and as we go from here in the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.